Are you ready to get dark? Welcome to Campia After Dark, the show where we talk about drinking alcohol and recreational drug use and casual sex with multiple partners. No, really, uh, w- welcome to uh, Campia After Dark. Uh, really, all After Dark is... <laughs> is this is a live companion video. But the last time, now I don't usually do companion videos live. The last time I did live companion video, a whole bunch of people wrote in and said, hey, when you do live companion videos late at night, you should call it after dark. So I just went, okay, that's it. So I went from that. But are you ready to get dark? But anyway, yeah, so that's what we're here to do. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to the show. Good to have you guys here. Thanks to all of you who are already joining us. I see there's a bunch of night owls here like me. Good to have all of you guys here. Uh, there's, uh, we're already almost at a couple of hundred of you guys in here. Uh, Jesse D Wolf, Brian, Will, Cassie and KJ, BK, Hosea, uh, Eric Wells, Maxi Yes, and everybody who's here. Thanks for joining me tonight. So like, here's, here's how tonight's going to go. You know, it's a companion video. So we're going to do the questions that you guys have sent in during the show. I'll look over and interact with you guys a little bit in the live chat there as well. No prodigalization. This, there will be no cigarettes and no dirty sheets. I don't smoke. Don't I'm, I'm one of these weird eggs. I'm like one of these straight edge guys. I'm not really straight edge, but I might as well be. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I, I'm boring. I'm totally boring. Mm. But it's good to have you guys here. So let's not waste any time. And let's get into it. By the way, a bunch of you guys have been asking me about what my thoughts on Lucifer are. I see a few guys in the live chat already asking if you want me to talk about Lucifer. But I have only started watching Lucifer Season 6 tonight because it's a show that Anne and I watch together. And so I can't watch it without her. So tonight was when we finally had a chance to start watching it. So we're through two episodes. I'm really enjoying it so far, but I'm not going to be able to talk about Lucifer Season 6 Um uh, in depth or anything like that for a few more days, but I'm really liking where it's where we're at so far. So to all you guys in the live chat, ask me to talk about Lucifer season six. Uh, there you go. So, and by the way, the Batman sends in a, a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Batman. I appreciate that, dude. Appreciate it. Um, I'm also seeing Gilbert Garcia's writing. Uh, John, did you see the reactions from Venom? Let there be carnage. I did. And that is going to be one of our main topics on the John Campy show tomorrow. So make sure you uh, jump in and join us for that tomorrow. All right. Let's get things started here, shall we? We're going to start with Jonathan, who writes in, My two favorite animated trilogies, one, Kung Fu Panda, two, Madagascar, three. That's three. You said two favorites. A three, How to Train Your Dragon. Each installment for me gets better and better, and while one and three should be switched in terms of quality, Kung Fu Panda is part of my childhood. Um, I like Kung Fu Panda very much. I I love that. I will admit I'm not much of a Madagascar guy. The penguins are cute. But overall, I'm not going to lie, I'm not much of a Madagascar guy. How to Train Your Dragon, though, is a fabulous animated trilogy. Now, to, obviously, to me, uh, Toy Story is the greatest animated trilogy. Like, Toy Story is actually one of the greatest movie trilogies, period, animated or not. Uh, and right after that, I would probably, um, I would probably say, uh, I would probably say it's How to Train Your Dragon after that for me. At any rate, all right. Thanks for sending that in, Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan also writes, I see the MCU as an expert juggler, able to juggle so many characters, storylines, and concepts for ten plus years. My fear, though, is that there'll come a day when the MCU will have juggled too many things and it'll all come crashing down. Do you share that fear too? Yes. Yeah, I do. I mean, at some point. You just have two, it will at some point, 
And by the way, Jesse Keller sends in a super chat batch live chat. Thank you, Jesse. At some point, it will collapse under the weight under its own weight. At some point, it will. You're just gonna have too many different, you know, contradicting storylines. You're gonna have too many characters. It'll just have gone on for too long, and it's gonna become creatively non-feasible to keep being creative when you've just got too many things. And it happens in the comic books too. At some point, that'll happen, but not today. That's the key. How much longer from now? I'm not sure, but at some point it, it will. Uh, Sky, by the way, in the live chat is saying, did anybody see Malignant? It was good. I didn't love Malignant. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, the opening of the movie felt like a cheap college movie. Um, and like it's a, like the opening of the movie is like a, from a really bad 70s horror. Uh, hello, this is the video log of the doctor. What? Our supernatural patient is growing too powerful. Oh no! And but it, I mean, it, it's I'm not gonna spoil anything about Malignant. It's creative. It it's it's kind. It's original. It's pretty original, actually. I'll give it that. I I didn't love it though. It felt like a bad horror. Not a bad, not bad, but a, a, a meh kind of horror of the week. I I wanted to like it more. But that's just because I really like the director a lot. And by the way, Sidious Swift sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you for that, Sidious. Appreciate that. All right, let's keep going here. Next up. Jonathan writes, uh, John's Nightmare Part 2, instead of ditching the same day release, HBO Max continues for another year, and Chapek joins in the fun by releasing only Marvel films as premium Disney+, Plus, causing Feige to quick, quit and walk away, uh, sipping Zevia, uh, who, on, uh, who only sponsors Robert. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, look, if Bob Iger ever, not Bob Iger, sorry, Bob Iger never would have let this happen. If Bob Chapek ever did that, you're absolutely right. Kevin Feige would walk. And that, Kevin Feige walking, is my ultimate nightmare for, for at least the MCU. It totally is. Uh, and by the way, our friend Gary Phillips sends in a super chat badge saying, get up. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Okay, next up. Jonathan also writes, now for John's fantasy, Bob Iger returns as CEO. That would be nice. Uh, bring Brings Disney back to its glory days. Adam Aaron gets booted out of AMC and replaced with a more competent CEO. Ketchup on Eggs is banned in America slash Canada. And Zevia finally sponsors the show. You're welcome, John. And yes, even here at night, even here at night, I am still drinking Zevia Cola. That's what I'm drinking at night. I wish maybe it should be something a little bit harder for after dark, but I'm still drinking my Zevia. Let's just pretend I've got some Jack Honey in this. You know what? Maybe I should put a little bit of Jack Honey in this. During the intermission, I'm probably going to put a little bit of Jack Honey in this. I, I do. I don't drink generally, but I, I will admit Jack Honey is not a flavor that repulses me. So most of the taste of alcohol repulses me. Jack Honey actually isn't doing so bad. All right. Uh, next up, Jonathan also writes, uh, isn't it a given that Spider-Man No Way Home will stay theatrical only? Yes. Since Sony is the distributor and it's not like they have their own streaming service to dump it on, right? Sort of a relief. Yeah, one of the things at CinemaCon that Sony emphasized was they are very, very committed to keeping their theatrical films as theatrical exclusives. So it doesn't matter what Bob Chapek wants or anything. Remember, Sony is the distributor of Spider-Man No Way Home. Marvel gets zero say. Disney gets no say in what Sony does with that movie. And uh, Sony is going to keep that one theatrical. I mean, it's it's possible they could bump it again, which I don't think they have any plans of bumping it. But it is absolutely Sony's decision about uh, what they're going to do with uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. And they seem pretty committed to keeping it a theatrical uh, thing only. All right. Let's see. Next up. 
We've got uh, another one from Jonathan writes, with Marvel doing multiverse and DC's Flash doing the same, are we headed for a Marvel versus DC crossover? No. <laughs> Kidding. Uh, wouldn't happen in a million years, but it's interesting that both studios are dealing with multiverse almost at the same time because multiverse, I know nobody likes to hear me say it, multiverse is a cheap, lazy uh, cop-out. Multiverse is a cheap, lazy cop-out. Ooh, let's kill Gamora. Just kidding. Let's bring her back. How? We saw her die. Eh, multiverse. Ooh, let's uh, let's do have, uh, 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 you know, uh, Robert Pattinson Batman. How? We already have a Ben Affleck Batman. Multiverse. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a cheap, lazy gimmick. That doesn't mean you can't make some great stories with it. You can. But I'm not a bit, I'm not going to lie. I'm not a big fan of multiverse. But it's such an easy, cheap gimmick that it's inevitable that both are going to do it. Plus, multiverse is very, let's not forget, multiverse is very, very uh, dominant in both comic lines, right? In DC and Marvel, they've all used multiverse. So it's not surprising at all that it's making its way into the movies as well. Some will be terrible and some will be good. We'll see which ones are which. By the way, uh, IDIC Warrior Reed sends in a $20 super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, IDIC. Appreciate that very much. It's very generous of you, man. Uh, okay, next up, we go to uh, Jonathan again, who also writes, hardest movie to watch, 12 Years a Slave. Uh, it's a difficult one to watch. I would actually say two others that are really hard is um, Catherine Bigelow's Detroit and Steven Spielberg's Schindler's List. Those are two also very masterful movies, but very, very difficult to watch, much like 12 Years a Slave. I just couldn't bear to watch certain scenes, had to turn away. Green Inferno, only movie to make me physically sick to my stomach as I watched cannibalism in film. What movies are hard to watch for you? Like I said, Catherine Bigelow's Detroit and uh, and Steven Spielberg's Schindler's List. I can't ever watch Schindler's List again, even though it's brilliant. I, I just it's just so it's brilliant and masterful and really hits you. I can't watch it again. I just can't. All right. Christopher uh, Rosado writes, this weekend was the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Yes, it was. And I thought it would be interesting to look at movies that were affected by that tragedy. Spider-Man 2002, of course, it had its Twin Towers scene taken out of the movie, had a teaser that featured Spider-Man trapping a helicopter in a web between the World Trade Center. Also, the teaser uh, poster had the towers reflected in his eyes. Yep, scrapped. Lilo and Stitch had to put a overlay over the final rocket ship chase scene because such because in the original, Stitch flies a 747 in a city instead of the spaceship in the mountains. Uh, I didn't know that. I didn't know about that one. Uh, Men in Black 2's final climax was uh, a pose, I probably meant, probably meant suppose, to be at the World Trade Center, but it was changed to the Statue of Liberty. Some of the examples have how this event changed the movies. Other uh, Others movie just took the Twin Towers out of the skyline. Any other examples that come to mind for you? For 9-11, not really. I remember, though, um, for... The, when there was a shooting that happened at a movie theater during, I believe it was The Dark Knight Rises? Is that what it was called? The Dark Knight Rises? Anyway, I think there was... If you guys correct... You guys in the live chat, correct me if I'm wrong about this. But... I believe there was like a shooting at a movie theater uh, for the Dark Knight Rises. And it was in, it was, a, or was it the Dark Knight? Gilbert Garcia saying it was the Dark Knight. I thought it was the Dark Knight Rises. Anyway, 
No, I'm pretty sure it was The Dark Knight Rises. Um, anyway, what, whichever. And it was a theater in California. And what happened was there was another movie coming out. I believe it was Gangster Squad. I believe it was Gangster Squad. But there was a movie coming. You remember that one? It had Sean Penn, Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone, Josh Brolin. Great looking movie that I thought for sure was going to be an Oscar contender. And it was actually ended up being really terrible. Um, oh, you guys are right. You guys in the live chat, Randy and a few other you guys saying live chat. It wasn't in California. It was in Aurora, Colorado. That You're absolutely right. That's where it happened. But so after that happened, there was another movie coming out called Gangster Squad that was supposed to be great, didn't end up being very good. But if I remember correctly, they actually had to post, they had to take the movie back into editing because there was a scene in that movie where a gunfight breaks out in a movie theater. And they kind of felt at the time, it's a little too close to what happened in real life, so they took that out. But yeah, stuff like that, certainly a number of films like 9-11. Actually, in my documentary movie, uh, plug, plug, plug. My documentary movie, Movie Trailers, A Love Story, we actually mentioned that Spider-Man scene where they took the two towers out. It's it's a true story. They had to do that. Spent a lot of money on that trailer, too. All right. Uh, next up. Thanks for that, Christopher. Appreciate that. Uh, Dr. Nova writes, Hey, John, can you please do a history check for me? Uh, I'll try. Uh, why didn't Ben Affleck end up directing the Batman? Thanks. P.S. Even though I hate Batman versus Superman, Ben Affleck is the best live-action version of the Dark Knight, uh, Adam West being the Bright Knight. Uh, Adam West was the Bright Knight. Uh, listen, we're not going to go into the whole thing again about Ben Affleck and uh, the fact of you know, he, he wanted to get out and Warner Brothers didn't want him to be Batman anymore. And then they pretended because they had Justice League coming out. So everybody pretended, even though I told everybody like two years in advance that Ben Affleck was out and nobody believed me. Even when a few months later, the Hollywood Reporter did a story confirming what I was saying to said, no, Ben Affleck's going to be out. Even then, everybody didn't believe me. And even then... After we told everybody, Ben Affleck got on stage at Comic-Con, even though the decision had already been made and said, I'm still going to be Batman. And even though the decision had already made that he wasn't going to be Batman, it was just a, but I mean, I get it. They, they, they wanted to still promote justice league. I get it. I do. Uh, but it sucks because I mean, Ben Affleck is my favorite Batman. He's also one of my favorite directors. I mean, this dude is just one of the best directors in Hollywood right now. He's amazing. He's an incredible director, a Ben Affleck written. And by the way, people in the industry say that Ben Affleck's script for his Batman movie was the best Batman script they'd ever read. So a Ben Affleck written, directed and starred Batman movie. Forget about it. It would have been so awesome. It would have been so awesome. Um, and yeah, it would have been great. Uh, it absolutely would have been great. Uh, by the way, our friends Banana Apple sends in the Super Chat badge as well as uh, Ian Simon also sends in a Super ch uh, super Chat badge saying, good job. Thank you, man. I appreciate that very much. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up, we got Film Love and Bro who writes, hey, John, can't say if Malignant is a good movie or, or not, but wow, the less you know going in, the better. Uh, it is bonkers insane, a great uh, uh, Giallo homage and vintage James Wan. The police station scene in the third act. Horror fans need to see this stat. I I do not share your love, film loving bro. I just don't share your love for the movie. 
again, there's it's the twist is a pretty um is a pretty creative one because as the movie gets rolling, you're like, okay, what's this all about? And when the reveal happens, you're like, ah, like that's creative, but it's I like I think the name of the star of the movie is Annabelle Wallace. I believe that's her name. She did that one uh, Tom Cruise movie with him. She was in The Mummy with Tom Cruise. And not a lot of people like The Mummy, but I really liked her in it, as a matter of fact. But even though I think she's a good actress, I I thought the acting in the movie was very 1970s B-horror movie quality. I thought the pacing was off. I thought th- there was a lot. I don't know. I just, I didn't hate it. Don't get me wrong. I didn't hate it. I just... I didn't think it was all that good, and I didn't even think the police station scene was that great. I mean, we've seen several other scenes like it that other movies did much better, but I I don't know. Again, I think it had its upsides. I didn't mind it. I just didn't think it was all that great, especially for a James Wan film. Ah, but that's just me. All right, next up. Uh, Sebastian writes, one of 11. Okay, everybody, buckle in. Uh, Hey, John. First, I want to know, I want you to know that I uh, know every movie is subjective and I don't mind people disagreeing with my personal taste. It's all good. That said, I've got to say that what you feel about Man of Steel is what I feel for the Matrix trilogy. I can't understand why some people didn't like 2 and 3. To me, the whole story is incredible. A guy who was born in the Matrix uh, as an anomaly of the system is awakened in the real world and told by Freedom Rebels that he's that he's the chosen one, and that he's meant to stop the many centuries-long war against the machines, just to discover in Reloaded that he really wasn't, and that it was just a part of another control system to lead him uh, to the source and to restart the cycle of the Matrix and or end humanity forever. But instead, he chooses hope to end, he chooses hope and love. Then Revolution, the program Smith uh, has taken over, the matrix like a virus and finds a way into the real world. The war of Scion probably meant Zion uh, is unleashed. Neo's mind is trapped in the matrix, but learn that wherever he is, he's always connected to it. By the end of the movie, he's lost his eyes, lost his love, saves the matrix and ends the war, saving all of humanity. All that with a, all that with peak technology visuals and awesome over the top action. It has heart, great characters, great dialogue. The story is complex and very well written, in my opinion. Seriously, what's not to love? Okay, except maybe for the final battle with the Oracle uh, Smith, who's a bit underwhelming to me. Other than that, uh, I find these movies are perfect. An effing masterpiece. Un, uh, or, or sorry, un vrai chef d'avour, uh, like we say in French. Without forgetting the Animatrix, who has very different kind of art in it, and also very... Uh, uh, innovative, world-expanding, and very and very well done, in my opinion, of course. Anyway, like Man of Steel, I know the Matrix trilogy is a very polarizing topic. Personally, when I ask people what they think of it, it comes down to two answers. It's an effing masterpiece, or meh, two and three wasn't so good. And when I ask why they didn't like it, the usual answer, well, I didn't really get it. Uh, that's what I hear from most people. I've, uh, I've even watched it with my own girlfriend, who said she had already seen it many times before, and still I had to explain to her what was going on sometimes. Just the concept of it 
it was mind-boggling to her. So, John, I know you're an intelligent man, and I'm pretty sure you get what The Matrix is about, maybe even better than me. So, my question is, what was it, John? Uh, what exactly do you think 2 and 3 was why it was let down to so many people? Other than those who didn't really get it, was it the execution, partially, the tone, for the last two, yes. Uh, too much slow-mo? No. Or was the story that w just wasn't that interesting? I'm curious, John. Thanks for all you do. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. I appreciate that, dude. Like, I, I like it when, like, whether it's in one paragraph or whether it's in seven paragraphs, I like it when a person really well lays out what it is they're trying to say. So well done, Sebastian. All right. So Matrix. First of all, just so we're clear, um, I am in the boat of absolutely adore the first Matrix movie like everybody else. I actually like Matrix 2, Matrix Reloaded, more than most people do. I didn't, I don't think it's anywhere near as good as the first one, but I still particularly liked it a lot. The Merovingian, the twins, like a whole, like I just, I like it. I like a lot of it. I like a lot of it. Okay. So, uh, Seraphim, but a lot of people didn't like number two. And then you get into part three and I am with most people that I thought part three was a slogging, slow-moving, logic-direction-changing kind of desperate attempt to close out the trilogy. And I think it came down to a couple of things for a lot of people. Now, now first of all, let me say this. You're right. When, when you just lay out the structure of the movie, like if you want to just say in bullet point form, the structure of the movie, it reads very, very well, even the last two. But I would offer that if you just lay out the bullet point structure of Star Wars, um, uh, the Clone War, the Clone Wars, and uh, or, or Attack of the Clones, I should say, Star Wars Attack of the Clones and Star Wars Revenge of the Jedi, if you just sit down and look at, and even the first one, Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, if you look at those three movies and you just give a quick bullet point summary of the overall plot outline, I still contend that the plot outline for those three Star Wars movies are genius. If you just read a bullet point plot outline of the first of the three Star Wars prequel movies, it reads brilliantly. It really does. But it all comes down to the execution, and that's where they go from brilliant concept to bag of crap movies, right? And I think, uh, first of all, you know, I think the ending of it just was a lot of letdown for a lot of people. I don't think it ever really explained well how was he able to carry powers outside of the Matrix. That was never really laid out well. I think the whole battle at Zion going on in the final film was a little bit underwhelming considering the huge buildup to the whole thing. The whole reintroduction thing of the Merovingian and stuff like that, that didn't quite logically make sense. Now listen, I'm going to admit to you right now. It has been a good eight years probably since I've seen Matrix 3. So, I, I mean, I can't sit here and give a full analysis of it, but, I mean, it, I just thought it was a much a badly paced, um, unsatisfying conclusions, introducing new wild concepts without any explanation 
even tangible explanations with as defining tangible as within the world of the matrix. Even then it didn't quite make sense. And it just left it. That's why it left everybody. And I will say this too for, I do also hear a lot of people say um, that, you know, they just didn't get it. If a big chunk of the audience says they didn't get it, guess whose fault that is? It's not the audience's fault. It's the storyteller's fault. That the storytellers don't tell the story in such a way that maintains its complex complexity, but they don't know how to take the complexity of that story and then tell the story in a way that the audience can come, can come along for the ride, then that's a bad movie. Then that's a bad movie. It doesn't matter how brilliantly complex and beautifully intricate your story is. If you as a storyteller tell that story in such a way that it leaves half the people in the audience going, I don't understand what's going on, then the problem is not the audience. The problem is the storyteller. And because that's that's the skill of being a storyteller and taking a beautifully, sometimes simple, sometimes very complex story and telling it in such a way that it brings the audience along instead of leaving the audience feeling alienated or abandoned. And that's what Matrix 2 and 3 did for a lot of people. Anyway, but that's just my take. That's just my take. You love all three movies and that's what's important. Um, I am actually somebody who appreciates the second movie. A lot of people don't. Some people do. And guess what? You're not the only one. There are people out there who actually do really appreciate the third film. And that's awesome. That is the beauty of the subjectivity of film. But if you're asking me why I think a lot of people don't like it, that's probably why. It doesn't mean they're right to not like it. It doesn't mean you're right to like it. It's just, you know, film is art. It all hits us in different ways. And uh, I wish I liked it as much as you do. I'll just say that I'm jealous. Anyway, Sebastian, beautiful job expressing your point of view on that. Thank you for writing that in. Well done, my man. Well done. All right. Uh, next up, Suthius writes, one of the best scenes and one of our favorite scenes in any of the MCU is the elevator cap fight. <laughs> anybody want to get off before we get started? Uh, yeah, before we get started, does anybody want to get off? You're right. The, the way he said it is the way you wrote it. That's right. Well, I just saw a meme that made my side hurt. Before we get started, are any of you Mephisto? <laughs> That's good. I like that. I got to find that. I didn't. Fi I, I got to find that one. <laughs> before we get started, are any of you Mephisto? You Do me a favor, or if any of you guys, if any of you guys have seen that meme, can you email that to me at john at the john campia show.com? So that's john, J-O-H-N, at the john campia show.com. If you could email that to me, I would, I would love to see that because that sounds hilarious. Uh, let's see here. Um, and yeah, uh, Master Onion North is saying that was a pretty rad scene. That scene is awesome. Just as he's on the elevator, he knows what's up. And then it stops and more guys get on. I mean, it's just a beautifully, beautifully done scene. I love that scene. Uh, okay, next up, we got Dangerous D who writes, I hated her so much, it flames, flames on the side of face breathing, breath heaving, breathing. If I'm not mistaken, that's Clue. I think that's Clue. Is that, or is that the Rocky Horror Picture Show? I'm going to stick with Clue. I think, yes, no, that's not Rocky Horror Picture Show. Sorry. That's Clue. I'm going to stick with Clue. Okay, you guys are saying I'm correct in the live chat. Michael uh, is saying I'm correct. Lee is saying it's Clue. Uh, Michael is saying it's Clue. Okay, so it's Clue. There we go. It's Clue. Thanks, Dangerous D. All right, an anonymous viewer writes, and tips in like $20. Thank you, anonymous viewer. Writes, 
just watched an old companion video as someone whose friend's cousin's husband is in you too hence anonymity i prefer the campia cover of with or without you to the u2 uh, original i'm not the person who gave the 300 but whoever was i salute you uh very sweet so for those of you who don't know what the story behind that is somebody set in 300 sent in a 300 tip and they basically said if i remember it right they basically said look Take this and give it to the charity of your choice. And all I ask is that I think they asked for a YouTube cover. Did they specifically ask for you? I can't remember if they asked specifically for a YouTube cover or not. So I cracked out my guitar, which you can see back here. Uh, that's in its case. Well, it's in a black case in a dark room. So maybe you can see it. Maybe you can't. So I cracked out the guitar and uh, played a little with or without you. So anyway, thank you for sharing that anonymous viewer. I appreciate that. My version is better than Edges and Bonos and Larrys and, you know, Adams. You know, it's, you know, I'm just better. I'm just better. I am better than you two. There you go. I think it's official now. We can officially say that. I'm better than you two. All right. Leo Milmit writes, Hey, John and friends, just so you know, you two is my favorite band in the world. Anyway, uh, hey, John and friends, love the show. Thank you so much. Respectfully disagree about most movies running too long. After all, streaming companies create amazing five-hour, uh, eight-episode series, which are basically really long films. No, they are not. Let, let me just stop right there before we continue on. A movie and a series are two very different art forms. They're very different art forms. They are a visual medium of telling stories, yes, but therein the similarities end. They are radically different structured, structured way of telling stories. And they are two very different types of experiences. So uh, just no, series are not just essentially kind of long movies. That's not what they are at all. If you don't grasp that, you got to be able to grasp it. Because they are, it's a very, very different piece of art. It's a very different art frame. Just ask any director who has worked on television shows and then transitions over to try to make a movie. Just ask any of them. They, they will tell you. It's a completely different art form. Uh, it may seem the same to us, but they are, they are not movies. They are not movies, like, at all. Anyway, um, speedy learning film. Um, obviously, films like Uncut Gems make great use of very quick pace and wouldn't benefit from more time. But for me, for films which don't necessarily use pacing to effect, I'll take another 10 minutes of almost anything great. Um, uh, I crave 20 more minutes uh, of Pig, for example, even though it's already the best film of 2021. I really did like Pig. I, I didn't, I had, I was a little bit late to the Pig party, and I, I really do like it. It's quite good. Cage is, Cage is great in it, but I didn't like it as much as some people seem to like it. Like, to me, it's a thumbs-up movie. Absolutely recommend it. It's really good. I just didn't think it's as good. I, I don't think it's an Oscar contender. Let's just put it that way. But I really do enjoy it. I really do. Anyway, uh, it's already the best film of 2021. I wish there wasn't this pressure for artists to conform to time standards. Example, Venom 2 being short, Irishman being long. Give me four good scenes and no bad ones. Um, well, here's the thing, Leo. You are asking for them to conform to a time standard. Who's to say Venom was conforming to a time standard? See, this is the point I'm always making with my fellow film fans. Every movie, listen, the most underappreciated and undervalued to fans 
But yet, one of the most important things to a good movie experience is the pacing. You may not realize how important pacing is until you watch a movie that has a great pacing and then you watch a movie that has terrible pacing. Pacing is so vital to a movie. You can have a great story and you can have great characters, but if that story isn't told with the appropriate cadence Whatever the cadence of that story needs to be, whether it's a a methodical cadence, a rapid cadence, whichever it is. But pace is so vital to a movie. And every movie will have its own heartbeat. So for some movies, like a Lord of the Rings Return of the King, a three-hour runtime is the appropriate cadence for that movie. But then you get some movies like Beauty and the Beast... You know, first animated film in history to be nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards, where, guess what? 90 minutes was the perfect pacing for that. And if anything, Leo, it sounds like you're trying to introduce, you know, some new standards that time needs to add more minutes. Adding more it does not make a movie better. Just, just throwing more in doesn't necessarily make a movie better. You know, and, you know, one of the neat things, I know it's always a touchy subject bringing up um, uh, why am I suddenly freezing on his name, Mel Gibson. I know it's always a little touchy bringing up Mel Gibson's name, but you need to go and watch the director's commentary of the Braveheart DVD. And he talks about cutting scenes out of the movie. And he, I remember he said this. He said, cutting a scene out of your movie is like killing one of your children. So that's what it feels like because every scene you do as a director, you've taken months of prep to make that scene months of prep writing, costume designing set uh, uh, location scouting, then set designing, constructing the sets, bringing all the players together, then days on set shooting those scenes, and then days more taking them into the edit bay and editing them together. So you've got a scene, maybe a, a three or four minute scene that has literally taken months to do, and you poured your blood, sweat, and tears into it, he talks about. He says, and you realize you got to cut it out of the movie. It's a good scene. It's a great scene but it wasn't an absolutely necessary scene. And it slows the movie down by having that scene in there. And he says it kills you as a filmmaker, but you got to take that blade and you got to cut it out to service the movie. So no, Leo, I'm going to disagree with you on this, brother. Just throwing in 10 extra minutes because there, there are many times with movies that even I movies I really like that I come out going, man, I just, they could have shaved like 10 minutes out. And then that movie would have really sung. You know, it really would have been tight. Carved about it. And sometimes we see movies where it's like, ah, there was a couple of places that seemed like it needed a little bit more exposition. It needed a little bit more fleshing out. Probably would have done well to have another 5, 10, 15 minutes added to give it a little bit more life. But see, it all depends from film to film. There's no such thing that a movie should be longer or a movie should be shorter other than what are the requirements and the actual needs of that specific film. Some films, their DNA are just meant to be shorter. Some films, their DNA are meant to be longer. 
Just because a movie's 90 minutes doesn't mean it was forced to some time set. No, maybe that's just the filmmaker was like, this is the best version of this movie. This movie sings at 93 minutes. That's the best version of this movie. Yeah, we could add in that extra 10 minutes or these extra four minutes. Yeah, but then you don't have the best version of this movie. And then some, to be the best version of themselves, need to be two and a half hours. It all depends from film to film. Anyway, so I respect your opinion on that, Leo. I totally do. I just, I respectfully disagree, my film-loving brother. I just respectfully disagree. All right, by the way, uh, Parth... uh, Trevetti sends in like a $10 super chat badge. In live chat. Thank you, man. And our friend S beam sends in a super chat badge as well. Thank you guys. Appreciate that very much. All right. Uh, let's move on here. We are at, uh, Leo also writes to Rob and Rob is not here right now. Obviously favorite physical media you own. I got third man and my dinner with Andre on criterion. I'm so excited. Two of my all time faves. Can't wait to see the extras wish criterions didn't break the bank so I could buy more. I couldn't honestly tell you. I couldn't honestly tell you what uh, Rob's favorite physical media is. He owns a lot of physical media, man. That dude owns a lot of physical media and I'm not really sure uh, I'm not really sure uh, which one he would say uh, is his favorite. Don't really know, but he's got an awful lot of them. I don't personally have a favorite. Pe- well, now I'll take that back. I think my favorite set of physical media, and this may sound weird because I was just talking about how they're crappy movies, but I think my favorite physical thing of uh, my, my favorite version of physical media that, that I have is probably... Uh, my Star Wars, the prequels. Star Wars, the prequels is probably my favorite piece of physical media that I have. And you might be saying to yourselves, but John, uh, you just talk about, you just talked about how bad you think those, those movies are. Yes, I think they're bad. But the bonus features on the Star Wars prequel DVDs are the best I think that have ever been done in any movies ever. The behind the scenes of the visual effects and how they did everything and all that kind of stuff. It is fascinating, well-produced, absolutely fantastic. Another set of discs that is great at their behind the scenes stuff is the Lord of the Rings set. But even then, I think the Star Wars prequels bonus content is even better than the Lord of the Rings bonus content. It is absolutely fantastic. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's move on here. Thank you for that, Leo. Uh, next up, an anonymous viewer writes, I've seen Dear Evan Hansen. It's played in a few screenings. Yes, it's a solid film, not the masterpiece the musical was, uh, but that show is in my all-time, my, my top five. De- uh, Dever is phenomenal. Uh, ben looks a little older, but no one looks 17, so J and E are both right. Well, again, to me, it's not whether he looks 17, it's just that he looks, I mean, the dude just looks old to me. He's only 28. The guy is only 28 years old, which is young. Tom Holland is 25 and he's playing a high school student. The difference is Tom Holland doesn't look 25 and Platt looks 37, 
to me. I mean, it just is what it is. This is what I thought. But anyway, I am looking forward to seeing the movie, though. Oh, C doing work in the live chat is saying he's 28 going on 45. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's, that's kind of how it plays. But listen, this dude can sing. This dude can sing. So I'm sure he's going to play the role very well. All right. Uh, next up, Jonathan writes. Uh, Malignant. Holy shit, where do I begin? I'll say this. It's an amazing concept, amazing direction with its gnarly camera angles and sweeps. More gory than I thought. It was pretty gory, actually. Intriguing mystery. Kept me guessing and shocked. But it's not perfect. Uh, Characters are kind of flat. Acting is somewhat weak. I was just saying that myself. I didn't really find the... Even though I really like Annabelle Wallace, I, I just... Yeah, I didn't think the acting in this was all that good uh weird and misplaced edits had some awkward and misplaced humor execution of concept wasn't as good as it should have been annabelle's acting reminds me of shelly duvall you probably meant duvall shelly duvall from the shining um overall despite its many flaws i was captivated by the concept mystery and horror and while the editing can be a bit off at times i still had a good time grade c you know what i i will say this i um, how do I put this? The mystery aspect of Malignant was my favorite part of that movie. Like at its heart, Malignant isn't even really a horror film. I mean, it is, but at its DNA level, Malignant is actually a mystery film. It's a mystery thriller. And you find, and, and actually the best part about this movie was laying out the mystery And then how James Wan just bit by bit starts to give information and clues to not only the characters, but to the audience as you lead towards the resolution of the mystery. And that part of it is the part that I enjoyed the most. I I really did. And the ultimate resolution of the mystery, I, I thought it was pretty satisfying. I thought the resolution of the mystery was pretty satisfying. But again, you're right, man. I just found a lot of the nuts and bolts that went into, into executing the movie. I just, felt flat and honestly I never would have guessed James Wan directed this just this just the directing in this movie seems below the standard of the great James Wan who I think is a great director and this this one feels like a little bit of a misfire to me but eh, anyway there's that okay uh let's see let's move on here uh jonathan also writes i can't stop thinking about malignant and it's batshit insane twist which no one should spoil despite its c grade malignant might round out my top five of the year oh definitely won't be in my top five of the year uh and it's all because of the mystery the mystery is great horror horror's all right and concept this is a movie i won't forget yeah i won't forget the movie either uh, i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing it's listen what what has it got right now i f- i forget hold on a second uh malig Rotten Tomatoes. I'm actually very curious to see what it's got. Because I'm hearing okay things from critics and not okay things from the audience. Okay, see, this is interesting. It's got a 77% critic rating, which is good. I mean, 77 is a good score. But it's got a 52% audience rating. So, I mean, it's 25% off from each other. So, it's not like they're 80% off from each other. But, yeah, I... Again, and those are verified audience ratings. These aren't review bombings. I, yeah, count me amongst the 23% of the critics that didn't, didn't like, but I, again, I didn't hate it. I'm sounding like I hated it. I didn't, I didn't hate it. The mystery part of the movie really works for me. So, um, yeah, there's that. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, do, 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 where are we right now? We are at, 
Um, Jonathan also writes in, I can see why people wouldn't like Malignant. Acting is bad, on par with bad TV movies from the 90s. Yeah, twist might be too ridiculous for some. It is ridiculous, but but with horror movies, you got to suspend disbelief a little bit. Uh, editing for me was just plain bad. Added weird music that didn't fit the tone. It's why it's a C. I, yeah, I totally get where you're coming from on that, Jonathan. All right, an anonymous viewer writes, one of three. Greetings from London, John. Well, greetings, dude. Thank you. I love how many people watch the show in the UK. It's absolutely amazing. We get a lot of emails and messages from our friends in London. So thank you for writing in. Uh, I hope you're keeping it well. I am. Thank you. It's been a while since I've written in, but rest assured, I've not missed a single episode of the John Campion Show. Well, thank you for that, man. I read an article over the weekend which reported that Paramount will be scaling back on its theatrical tentpole productions to focus on titles that will service Paramount+. Plus. As you have stated a few times, if there is a paradigm shift where the focus is on generating revenue via via streaming, then there's no financial incentives in making big movies for theatrical release. Is this a sign of things to come? Will other studios follow suit? I really hope not. I'm a big fan of the cinema and hope uh, streaming. By the way, this is King Kong Megatron. And really hope I'm a big fan of the cinema and really... uh, I really hope not. I'm a big fan of the cinema and home streaming doesn't hold a camera, a candle to it. Well, you're right. Uh, home streaming is absolute crap compared to a real theatrical experience. That's not to say there haven't been really good things to stream at home. And listen, I love, I love having a service like Disney plus that has all of its old archive stuff and it's curated content. I love knowing if I want to watch civil war right now, I can go load up, Disney Plus and watch Civil War. I just want to see Civil War in the movie theaters first. And Disney is starting to learn that. See, Disney's learning. Oh, so you're saying we'll make way more money if we put the movies in theaters first, make all times of cash, and then a while later, after the theatrical window is done, then we say, hey, everybody, guess what? That movie? Boom! Now it's on Disney Plus. And then we get subscribers and everything that way too. So we make money here and we make money there. See, Disney's starting to figure this out. Disney's putting this together. Warner Brothers is starting to figure this out. And you know their new owners over at Discovery are going to know too. They're going to know too. So, uh, yeah, but then you got some of these streaming networks that are way behind, like Peacock, like Paramount. So they're like, oh, yeah, that's all well and good that Warner Brothers and Disney, they can do the theatrical stuff because they've got big subscriber bases and we don't. And then it's that's called a desperation move. But yes, listen, what I think Paramount's basic plan here is that their bigger movies will be theatrical. The ones they don't think will necessarily attract a huge audience will go to streaming. And, and I think that's it right now. But again, I think other studios like Disney will start to figure out that the way you make your most money is by putting these movies in theaters first, at least the ones that will have an audience. And then you put them on streaming later and get, get double dipped. You'll get two wins. And by the way, studies have already proved that movies that get released on streaming after they've had a theatrical exclusive release get more attention on streaming than if they got released on streaming day and date. So it's actually better for your streaming platform if you have these movies have exclusive theatrical windows first. It's a win-win. Disney's figuring it out. 
Warner Brothers is starting to figure it out. And I think you're going to see everybody else figure out eventually too. But still, we're in the midst of a paradigm shift. And it's going to be interesting to see in what ways it shakes out. But We'll have to wait and see, man. We'll have to wait and see. By the way, our friend Donaldo Martinez sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, man. I appreciate that, dude, very much. All right. Uh, next up, we go to Big Will, who writes, Hey, John, on September 13th of 2021, that was yesterday, uh, will be the 25th anniversary of the passing of the iconic Tupac Shakur. His music and passion still inspires the world, especially me today. Uh, where were you when he died? Uh, what do you think is his legacy? His legacy is 25, 25 years later, RIP to the GOAT. I'm not going to lie to you. I wasn't a big Tupac Shakur fan. I didn't dislike Tupac Shakur. Don't get me wrong. I just didn't really follow his work at all. So I have I have no recollection whatsoever. No disrespect to Tupac or any of his fans of his legacy. I just don't remember where I was because it wasn't that big of a thing to me. Now, you can ask me, where was I? when Jam Master J died. Because I know exactly where I was when Jam Master J died. I still remember exactly where I was when I and who I was with and what I was doing when I heard that Jam Master J had died. He's Jam Master J, the big beat blaster. He gets better because you know he has to. In 84, he'll be a little faster because only practice makes a real jam master. I know exactly where I was when Jam Master J died. That I remember. But yeah, so I don't know, but listen. Tupac Shakur, Shakur's legacy is obvious. You can see he's still such a relevant figure in modern pop culture. He's still such a relevant figure in modern pop culture. That speaks volumes to not only his popularity, but also to his legacy. So I think, uh, I think that's, uh, that's important to, uh, to know. All right. Thanks a lot for that. Big will. All right. Next up, uh, Jake Pyle writes, Hey, John, love the show. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate that. I uh, just wondered what you thought of malignant <laughs> malignant's coming up a lot. If, uh, if you have had the chance to see it yet, I loved it. Uh, it is personally uh, my favorite horror film of the last five years. And I loved it more than a quiet place too. And it's just as good as the first, Again, I'm not, I wasn't a big fan. Not a big fan. Again, I don't think it's bad. I don't, don't get me wrong. John, John hated Malignant. No, no, no. I, the, I thought as a mystery film, it really worked actually. As a mystery film, it worked. But I, I, I classify it as a very forgettable film. Like you see it, you think about it. And then, you know, if somebody brings it up two years later because of the twist, you'll remember, but you won't really be thinking about it. At least that is to me. But listen, Jake, you're not the first one to write in today to say they really like the film. So that's awesome, man. I'm glad you liked it. It just it really wasn't all that great to me. But it is what it is. All right. Next up, Phil Love and Bro writes, watch Tango Shalom at my local AMC this weekend. Of course, for those of you who don't know, that's a film that Robert Meyer Burnett is a producer on. Very proud of him for that film. Uh, watch Tango Shalom at my local AMC this weekend. What a delightful little indie flick. Um, part strictly ballroom with a dash of the red balloon and a positive universal message of religious commonality. I was smiling by the film's end. A big congrats to Rob. Yeah, a big, big, big congrats to Rob. And by the way, guys, it is now playing in a number of places. If you have a chance to go and check Rob's movie, Tango Shalom, do go. I know it's in L.A. and New York and it's opening in Miami. It's playing in several big cities in Canada. It's playing all over Russia and it'll be out on home video, I think, sometime next month. I can't remember exactly, but if you get a chance to go and support this movie in theaters, go support it in theaters. Okay. 
Uh, we move on now. Um, hold on a second. Um, sorry. Okay. We get back to it now. Jonathan writes, I had to watch Malignant on HBO Max only because I don't like watching horror movies in theaters unless it gets a really positive reviews like 90%. Watching at home gave me power to control the volume. When a jump scare happens, I hate jump scares. Well, I mean, a lot of horror movies are filled with a lot of jump scares, so you're always going to have to deal with that, I think. All right, Dylan's Dialogue Rights, part one of two. Hey, John, I finally did it. I binged through the first season of Warrior on HBO. Awesome, awesome show on HBO Max. And oh, my God, from the fight choreography to the drama between the tongs and the police and the Irish, this show is bonkers great. Um, the transitions between Cantonese and English, specifically in episode one, legit put my jaw on the floor, and I can't wait to binge season two. By the way, your reaction to Rob's incoming collectible order uh, number had my wife and I in fucking tears. Yeah, I knew, I knew that number was going to be big. Man, when I asked Rob about that, it was a bit bad. Okay, so Lex, listen, Dylan just gave me another excuse to tell you guys, if you haven't tried watching Warrior, the season Warrior uh, on Netflix, you absolutely must. I forget the lead actor's name. It's Andrew something. I'm freezing on his... He just played... Um, uh, he just played Storm Shadow in the Snake Eyes movie. He's the best part of the Snake Eyes movie. His character is, at any rate, Andrew. Guys in the live chat, help me. No, no, Edison is not Andrew Gar Garfield. Andrew Koji. Thank you, guys. James Fan was the first one to write it in, as was Jimmel and Jar and John. Thank you, guys. Yeah, uh, Andrew Koji stars in Warrior. It is Game of Thrones meets. Badlands. I don't know if any of you guys watch Badlands. The one's got Nick Frost in it. But it's Badlands crossed with Game of Thrones, crossed with a little bit of, I don't know, it's hard. It's it's really hard to, to tangibilize what I would call it, but the show is awesome. There's two seasons out on HBO. A third season is coming. Go get caught up on it. You'll really, really be glad that you did. Uh, all right. Thanks a lot for that, Dylan. Next up, Jonathan writes, uh, one thing I look for in movies with two main female characters is if it passes the the Bechdel. I've never known how to pronounce it. So the Bechdel test, just so you know, the basic concept of this test is uh, how many times are there two women on screen who have conversations and those conversations don't, the conversations aren't about a man, right? That's what they call, I never know how to pronounce it, but that's the special test. And you'd be surprised how many movies like brutally fail that. Like either they never actually have women on screen together, or if they do, they're only on screen to talk about the male character. Like it, it actually is kind of a shocking thing when you see it. Anyway, the special test when uh, two named females talk about something other than men. Unfortunately, the Suicide Squad failed in that regard. Uh, sad since it it uh, it had Harley and Ratcatcher. Uh, I, it's, nah, but the thing is, if your movie only really had, look, the, the movie only had like six or seven real characters. Everything else was just orbital characters. And those two never even really have screen time together. So while the, it is, while that test can be kind of a shocking test when applied, you got to understand there are movies that it just doesn't apply to. Right. And I would, I would propose that Suicide Squad is one of those movies you can't really apply it to because of the nature of the movie. But at any rate, 
that's just kind of my I mean there's no reason why Ratcatcher 2 and Harley would have a scene where the two of them it doesn't fit into the narrative anywhere when was there a scene that required those two characters who have never met before to be together off alone somewhere doing something it just and that's why it is a valuable tool. It's an eye-opening tool, the test is, but it doesn't apply to every movie. So, And that's one I don't think it applies to. All right, uh, next up. Willow writes, uh, you've recently said that you'd considered cutting off a toe in order to get a Batman movie directed by and starring Ben Affleck. I really would consider that. Uh, but of course, the real test is, how much ketchup on eggs would you be willing to eat if it means getting that movie made? Yeah, of course, for those you may not know, Man, just looking at somebody holding a ketchup bottle anywhere near eggs nearly makes me vomit. It nearly makes me vomit. I I just, oh, oh. And listen, I respect your food eating choices. I do. I respect you having the right to live out your food eating choices however you like. If you're if you have the lifestyle where you like to put ketchup on your eggs, I may find that revolting, but I will fight for your freedom to have the choice to have that disgusting ketchup on eggs. And I will shout down anybody who speaks badly of you for doing it. I may find the whole thing very revolting and disgusting, but I support you in your horrible food eating choices. But no, seriously, man, ketchup on eggs just the just the thought of it just the thought of it really makes me want to like it like gag reflex triggers dude my gag reflex triggers just thinking about that damn oh that's disgusting tray disgusting anyway by the way our friend my comic planet uh sends in like a 20 dollars super chat badge saying you are amazing thank you man i appreciate that dude very much i love that little pair uh all right Uh, Let's move on here. Next up, we got Sam Fisher who writes, I watched uh, Infernal Affairs this weekend, my all-time number one favorite cop movie ever. It's fantastic. I think it's a better movie than The Departed. It's not a shot-for-shot remake. It's close, though. Um, It's not a shot-for-shot remake, but it's really close. It also is not as long as as the story is really streamlined, and I think it has a better ending. Again, for those of you who don't know, Infernal Affairs is the movie that... The Departed is a remake of. Of course, The Departed won Best Picture of the Academy Awards. Marty Scorsese won Best Director, his first ever Best Directing Academy Award that he ever won. It's magnificent. It's great. But you got to see the one it's based on, Infernal Affairs. It, it is very much the same movie, different, different city, obviously different uh, actors and everything like that. Uh, that's where if you saw Shang-Chi... When Wu, Shang-Chi's dad, that's where I first discovered the great Tony Leung was in, and he's been in a ton of stuff, but where I really first discovered Tony Leung personally was in Infernal Affairs. you got to go check it out. It's absolutely fantastic. All right, next up. Sam Fisher uh, writes, I also watched the movie Mr. Right starring Sam Rockwell, Anna Kendrick, and Tim Roth. Uh, It was a weirdly adorable and violent action rom-com. A kind of wish... It would get a sequel, but only it only did $600,000 business on an $8 million budget, so no way is that happening. And this may not surprise you, Sam, finding out that the movie only made $600,000. I never saw it. I thought for a second you were talking about Mr. Wrong. Do you remember Mr. Wrong? Without looking on IMDb, guys, do you know the movie Mr. Wrong? 
and and who starred in it. I want to see, I want to see if anybody knows what movie Mister Wrong is. Do you guys know who it was? And come on, no cheating, no going to IMDb or or anything. Saying nope, Nit is saying nope. Not Chris Pine. I do not. Ah, there it is. Uh, Equus Fernal and Nate Sinner saying, "Yep, Ellen DeGeneres movie." It starred Ellen DeGeneres and the guy who played the president in Independence Day. Uh, And he also played Lone Star. Uh, Bill Pullman. It was Bill Pullman and Ellen DeGeneres. And it was just before Ellen DeGeneres came out as being gay. And she was in this movie called Mr. Wrong. I have a whole story about that, about Mr. Wrong. And I'm not going to tell it right now. It's too long of a story. I'm not going to tell it right now. But that's why I remember this. When you said Mr. Right, I thought you meant Mr. Wrong. Uh, And by the way, a username Ketchup on Eggs sends in a Super Chat badge, as well as our friend Matthew Denton also sends in Super Chat badges. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. Um, But anyway, yeah, there you go. Mr. Wrong. Someday I'll tell the story. Someday I will tell the story about how Mr. Wrong, the movie, has a connection to me. But that's that's a story for another day. All right, let's move on here. Uh, Sam Fisher also writes, you guessed right on how I do my super chats for the spoiler discussion. I pre-write everything in Word, make sure every super chat is at or under the number of characters, and then copy and paste it into the super chat feature. It just it makes everything easier because it can be sometimes a little bit frustrating having to go up and down and go through everything to try. Oh, there's this part one. Now where's this part two? And you have to go up like six or seven other questions. The way you do it, Sam, and that some other people do it. If you've got a long one to write in, uh, and obviously our friend who wrote in that, that great thing about the matrix, if you write it all out first and then just copy and paste it in, then it's more likely to all come in in one chunk and makes it a lot easier on the show. And by the way, uh, mukbang reviews, uh, who's one of our regular viewers here, sends in a super chat badge in the live chat as well. Thank you, Mukbang. appreciate that, man. All right, let's keep going here. Oh my gosh, we've gone over an hour now. Okay, let's do a few more here. We still got a few time for a few more here. So Sam Fisher writes, I still have to do a John Campus show in the morning, so I can't go too awful late. All right, Sam Fisher writes, this is more so a question for Rob, and Rob is not here right now, obviously. Is it just me, or does the Eternals feel very similar to what Jack Kirby did at DC with the fourth world line? I know Kirby was obsessed with mythology just like I am, hence Thor, but they feel a little too similar. Yeah, but that's not completely... Un- that's not... That's not unusual. There's there's a lot of different things. By the way, there's a book we talk about every once in a while on the show here called Slugfest, the 50-year-old, or might have been the 60-year-old battle between Marvel and DC. And it's it's a you know real-life account about the real history of the battle between Marvel and DC comics. And again, it's called Slugfest. I highly, 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 highly recommend this book. Even if you've never read comics and you're just into comic book movies, this is a fascinating book to read. Or use an Audible credit and go get it, the audio version. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. And I, they, they touch on that one a little bit. They do. But when you go into you realize there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff that are similar between Marvel and DC. And it, it, the, the question is never answered about who copied who. Because, yeah, maybe... A was copied by B, but it turns out B got, was just copying C. Uh, and then if you looked into it a little further, C actually copied D. So that means A is actually a copy of D. I mean, it, it just kind of goes that way. So I I stopped going down those rabbit holes. 
I, I, I admit, I just stopped going down those rabbit holes because they never lead anywhere constructive. But again, bottom line is, go and check out that book, Slugfest. I think it'll give you a lot of great context and a lot of different stuff. And by the way, uh, Demetrius uh, Dinda sends in a really cool-looking Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Dangerous, or Demetrius. I appreciate it. By the way, I like that name, too, Demetrius. That's a cool name. If I write a musical, I'm going to have a character named Demetrius. I like that name. All right, Remmer Bulldog writes, Shang-Chi was fantastic. I watched it for a third time, and it gets better and better every time I watch it. Best comic book movie since Avengers Endgame, in my opinion. Next up, Eternals. Listen, I know a lot of people get mad when I say this, but I think it's better than than, than Endgame. I really do. It doesn't have the big bombastic fan service moments that like Endgame and stuff like that do. And I really like Endgame. I really like Endgame. Don't don't get me wrong. I really like Endgame Uh, and Infinity War. I personally, I I put Shang-Chi above both of them. Just overall, as a movie, how it's executed, the flow of it, the story, the narrative structure, the whole bit, the characters. I just think it's a better movie. And I say that as a big fan of Infinity War and Endgame. Not the best movie in the MCU. Like, not it's not Winter Soldier. And it's not the original Avengers. And it's not Civil War. But I, I, I think... Yeah, I think I think it's one of honestly, I think it's one of their best. It's their best audience viewed movie. But anyway, there's that. Anyway, I'm glad you liked it, Remmer. All right. Next up. Uh, let's see here. Miguel Zian writes one of two. Hey, John, hope you and the gang are doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you so much. Haven't donated in a while due to the stress of life. Dude, I'm just being here and watching the show is all we need, dude. Thank you so much for watching the show. Uh, did you keep up with the news from the Venice Film Festival last week? I did. Apparently, a lot of great films are presented. Uh, one that caught. Uh, my attention is the sequel to the foreign film on the job. I don't know if you remember, but I tipped before about this film. I think it has a great premise and it's a gritty crime, uh, crime cop drama thriller. I think it'll be on HBO with an, uh, Irishman runtime. Woo. That's kind of intimidating. By the way, Irishman, that is a great example. Going back to what somebody was writing in before saying, Hey, the movie should be longer. Irishman is a great example of a great movie that would have been twice as good had they edited like a half hour of that movie out. There were so many scenes in that movie that was just repeating information that was already in, in another scene or was communicating something to the audience that another scene already communicated to us or made us understand something about a, a character that another scene already made us understand about the character. Like there was, there was so much redundancy in that movie that I think you easily could have taken the editing blade, cut a half hour out of that movie, and you would have been left with the same movie just with much better pace. And I I like it as it is. Like, I still think it's a great movie uh, as it is. But that's a great example of one that I think would have been getting. Anyway, Miguel, no, I never did have a chance to check out On the Job, so I'm still not familiar with it. And I didn't hear anything about the sequel to it coming out of it. I mean, obviously, there was a lot of talk coming out of it, uh, you know, about uh, Dune and uh, Last Night in Soho and a bunch of those films there was a lot of talk of. But I didn't hear anything of On the Job. But I will keep that one on my radar, Miguel. I will keep that one on my radar. So thank you for throwing that in there, man. All right. Next up, Remmer Bulldog writes, I am so impressed uh, by Marvel because Shang-Chi, a brand new MCU character that's not well known in the comics and no big name actors in Shang-Chi, and it still did great at the box office. To me, that is why Marvel is still on top. Well, I would say this. It doing well at the box office is not why 
Marvel's on top. They're on top of why it did well at the box office. They just made a great movie. Nobody's heard of Shang-Chi. Almost nobody outside of Canada has ever heard of Simu Liu. Not a lot of people in the North American audience, unfortunately, are really aware of who Tony Leung is. I mean, really, the most famous name, as far as North American audiences go, in this movie is Aquafina. That's your number one name in this movie is Aquafina. That's it. That's your number one name. With a character that nobody's heard of. Outside of comic book loving circles, even a lot of them don't even know it. But they just made a great movie. They made a great movie. One that I have still only seen six times. That's a crime. That is a crime. I need to see this movie in theaters at least a seventh time. I don't know if I'll see it in theaters as many times as I saw Kenneth Branagh's Thor, the first Thor movie. Uh, I saw that one in theaters eight times. So I don't know if I'll see it as many times as I thought, but I definitely at least have to get a seventh viewing. I need to get a seventh viewing of this movie, man. I got to get up there and see that one. Uh, Okay, let's see here. Uh, Next up, uh, Sam Fisher writes, I'm starting a list of Tony Leung movies and Kung Fu. uh, What's your movies? Can you recommend some I have? Uh, I have. Can you recommend some? I have the big one, like Lust Caution. Lust Caution is, woo. You want a movie that brings on the filthy? Lust Caution brings on the filthy, my friends. Directed by the great Ang Lee. It brings... Just be... If you're somebody who's who's adverse to a little bit of butt cheek, a little bit of fornication... Is that how you say it in America? Fornication? Uh, A little little bit of a nipple shot? You got some dirty. You got some dirty in the Lust Caution. In the move for love, hard-boiled, obviously. Uh, Chucking Express, Hero, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Kung Fu, Hustle, Police Story 1 and 3, any others. Again, the one I will always go to, the one I will always go to is Infernal Affairs. Greatest cop movie of all time. And you, you listed some great ones on there. Hard-boiled, Hero, Crouching. But you, you got to go, if you're looking for... A, a Tony Leung masterpiece, you look no further than Infernal Affairs. So that's that's the one I'm going to lean on there. All right. Um, fornication. All right. Russell Amador writes, Hey, John. This past weekend caught up on two movies I missed earlier this year, Cruella and Together Together. Wow. Shame on me for not catching them in the initial release, especially Together Together with Ed Helms. What a solid, heartfelt movie. Never did watch it. I'm going to admit something. By the way, Cruella is actually pretty damn good. I I quite enjoyed Cruella. I really did. Ed Helms is a guy I kind of soured on. I I don't get excited by Ed Helms. I like Ed Helms is an interesting one because Ed Helms come out came out of nowhere, right? Like first of all, the first place any of us saw him on was The Office, right? And being in The Office got him a role in this little comedy that nobody expected to do anything called The Hangover with Zach Galifianakis and Bradley Cooper. And then all of a sudden, The Hangover becomes this super major international box office comedy smash success, and it's fantastic. 
if there are any of you who still haven't seen the first Hangover movie, you absolutely must. It's great. It was it was one of those movies that was like like just totally looked like a complete throwaway, forgettable little comedy. And it ended up being tons of fun. Like so good. We won't talk about the sequels, but that first one is so good. But here's the problem then. This is the problem. They then took... Um, Ed Helms was now suddenly, ooh, Ed Helms is in the biggest movie in the world. Best comedy out there. Everybody's, oh. So you know what they did? Even though it made no sense to the show, they took his Andy character at the office and made him the new face of the office after Steve Carell left. And they made Andy the new manager. When that made no sense. That made zero sense in the show. Andy wasn't even a very interesting character in the show. And and that's not Ed Helms' fault. He played the role of Andy very well. I'm just saying, Andy was not even uh, remotely close to being the fan favorite or all that interesting of a character. It was a character that was suspended because remember, he would have these anger outbursts, and they had to suspend him from the company, and then he came back. He was one of their worst salesmen. and blah, blah. and but, but because The Hangover was a big hit, well, Ed Helms is a big star now. Better make him the face of the show. And they made Andy, and all of a sudden, the show went to shit. And then quickly, the writers of The Office realized, people are not digging this. This isn't working. And so then they kind of transitioned the show away from Andy again. Anyway... Then I was never really a big fan of a lot of stuff he did afterwards either. So when I see Ed Helms is in something, I'm not saying I dislike Ed Helms. I'm just saying I cooled on him. So when I see that he's in a movie, it doesn't really get me excited or motivated to want to see it, which is unfortunate because then maybe he does something like Together Together and maybe it's great and I'm missing out. So I might have to go back and check that one out, Russell. I may have to go back and check, check that one out. All right. Let's see. Uh, by the way, I'm going to go a few more minutes, guys, because I'm going to want to go watch What If. <laughs> Let's see the next episode of What If. Uh, see if it uh, can improve upon last week's What If. All right, next up, Sam Fisher. Because just for those you who don't know, What If starts in about 17 minutes. So I got to be ready to go and watch that. All right, next up. Uh, let's see. Sam Fisher writes, I always thought the name of the Sopranos prequel movie didn't make sense. The Many Saints of Newark. What does that mean? But the movie follows Dickie and someone told me... Uh, uh, Multisanti means many saints. Oh, interesting. That's when it clicked the Molasantis of Newark. I didn't even think about that, Sam. I didn't even know that. Amit is writing. What's up, John? What's up, everybody? everybody? Good to have you here. Um, Yeah, I didn't even realize. That makes sense. I thought maybe the many saints of Newark were maybe like, you know, because it's in Jersey, Newark, New Jersey. Like, oh, they were just, they called them saints or something. So the many, that's what I thought. But that makes much more sense, Sam. See, I'm learning stuff here too. I'm Italian. All right. Clark Kent writes, hey, John, uh, I see a lot of good fan-made videos on YouTube. I made one of Superman uh, and... And surprise, you probably meant and. I made one of Superman, surprise, surprise, I got hit with a copyright strike. So my question is, what did I do wrong? Why can't other? Why can others do the same thing, but I can't? Thanks and have a good day. Clark, listen, this is a massive, massive topic that we can't fully do right now. I, I mean, that's just, that's a huge topic of that. But look, 
the basics of it is this. If you use copywritten material to do a video, you have to understand there's a good possibility that your video will get hit with a content strike. That doesn't mean it's impossible to use copywritten material in your content. There's something called fair use. There's a legal doctrine called fair use. And most people tremendously misunderstand fair use. There, there are people out there who think, oh, if I don't make money on it, it's okay that I use it. No, that is not what fair use means. That is not, if you're one of those people that you think that, oh, as long as you don't make money on it, you're allowed to use copywritten material. No, 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 no. I don't know where that got started. That's a lie. That is not what fair use is. That's not how it works. So without doing a complete legal breakdown right now on fair use, and I don't know, maybe I should do that in the Campia classroom on a John Campia show sometime. But what I would recommend is go on YouTube, do a search for fair use doctrine, or fair use law, and there are ways to do it. But even if you follow fair use, there is still a chance you'll get hit with a copyright strike. And you would have to fight it using fair... Look, it's just safer not to use copyright material in your YouTube videos. It's just, it's just safer that way. But again, I would highly recommend you to go and check out uh, any videos on YouTube about fair use doctrine and fair use law and how it applies to YouTube videos in, in particular, because there are protections that you can use. But again, it, it's just you're always walking on thin ice whenever you use copyright material. So just something to keep in mind, just something to keep in mind. But do go and look that up because you might find it helpful. All right. Last one that we're going to do today, guys. And then I'm going to go, you know, rest my voice up and then watch uh, watch what if and then go to bed because I got a show to do in the morning, you know. Anyway, I still can't believe it is almost midnight here and just kind of unannounced. We did this live show. We got 800 of you guys in the live chat right now. So, so good to have you guys here. Thank you so much for joining us, guys. By the way, you're going to have to let me know what you think of doing these because, you know, normally I do these companion videos recorded and, um, and you know, Anne, Anne is the one, my wife is the one who actually recommended to me. If you're going to do a live, do it a little bit later. So people who live in different time zones might have a better chance of watching live or just people who are big night owls. I, I mean, I don't know. You guys let me know what you think of this. Do me a favor. Okay. So in the comments below and stuff like that, let me know if this is something you'd like us to see us do maybe two or three times a week. I don't know. All right. Last question of the night, guys. Clark Kent also writes, Hey, John. Went to my first Comic-Con, got to meet the Green Arrow himself, Mr. Stephen Amell. It was awesome. It made me remember the time you had him on the Arrow After Show and you saying you hate Laurel. Uh, he is such a nice guy. Yeah, dude, listen, uh, I love me some Stephen Amell. Let me see if I can just bring this up here. I'm not totally sure I can. Um, I'm going to see if I can find Stephen here. But I am, first of all, when the Arrow Show first started, I was a very, very big fan. Like the first couple of seasons of Arrow, I was a massive, massive fan of the show. Anne and I started doing an Arrow after show uh, just for ourselves. And we just did it from my, one of our spare bedrooms. We did this Arrow after show. And this one time we were doing the Arrow after show and a bunch of people started writing in saying uh, on Twitter saying or, or started writing into the live chat and saying, uh, John, Stephen Amell is trying to get a hold of you on Twitter. This is why we were doing the show, right? And so we're like, what? And like, sure enough, I go on Twitter 
And there's Stephen Amell saying, somebody tell John Campia that I'm trying to reach him. So I'm like, okay. And uh, we go, all right, he's trying to reach me. So I, I tweet with them and we get him to come on the show. He calls in and we bring him on the show as a call in. And then he's like, let's do this in person. And he came in to do it live and in person once. Uh, this is Stephen coming in to talk to us uh, on the show. This is the first time I actually met Stephen in person. So he came down to our studio to hang out with Ann and me, which was absolutely great. He also came in and, and uh, hung out with our friend Koori. And our friend Koori, I shouldn't show this picture, but I will. Um, our friend Koori decided to make a grab for him, apparently. Yeah, that's 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 Koori going for uh, Stephen Amell's Jigglies. That's what that's happening there. That's her going for the Jigglies. And, uh, yeah, anyway, so Stephen was great. And we hung out for the evening. Uh, we, we, we went back. We all had drinks. We all had a good time. It was a lot of fun. And this dude, dude couldn't be nicer. And then, uh, not long after that, um, it was Anne's birthday. I might have told this story on the show before. But it was Anne's birthday. There's there's my wife, Anne, and Stephen. It was Anne's birthday. And Stephen Amell, I just want you to know about like how cool of a guy Stephen Amell is. All right. It was Anne's birthday. And I knew Stephen Amell was in Vancouver shooting Arrow. He was currently on set shooting one of the seasons of Arrow. And I wrote him a quick message and said, look, I know you're super busy. But Anne, my wife is such a big fan. I'm like... If, if you could somehow like even write her a note or something, just say happy birthday, it would probably totally make her day. And I tell this story just to let you know how cool of a guy Stephen Amell is. So Stephen Amell, instead of just getting on his phone and typing happy birthday, here, send this to Ann, he goes back to his trailer, still in his arrow makeup. Like he's got the black makeup on his eyes and everything. And you still, he doesn't have the hood on, but he's still got, you can tell he's got the shirt on or the, you know, the outfit on. He's still got the black makeup on his face. He goes back to his trailer, gets on his computer and records a video birthday message to Anne and sends her a personalized video happy birthday message just because I told him it would really make her day. And that's what Stephen Amell did. And so from that day on, I was like, you know, I, I, I stopped liking the show uh, Arrow because I, I just thought it went, in, I think the writers let the show down. You have failed this show. Anyway, yeah, I thought the writers failed the show. After after the first few seasons, which I loved, it kind of went downhill. Steven continued to be great in it. He was. But it doesn't matter. I will consider myself a major Stephen Amell fan for the rest of my life just because the dude, you, you, do, my, you do my wife dirty, you're dead. But you do, you make my wife smile, you're in my good books for life. And because the way this guy on a couple of occasions just went out of his way to be so gracious and so nice. And I do think he's legitimately really, really talented. I will be a Stephen Amell fan for life. Now I haven't had a chance to check out heels yet, but I will, I will. And I will uh, probably support the show. I, but I, again, I just haven't had a chance to see it yet, but I will always be a fan of Stephen Amell for that. So I'm super, super happy for you guys uh, are super happy for your Clark that you had a chance to actually meet him 
Very, very nice guy. Super generous to, to fans and giving of his time. Just a totally top-notch dude. In an industry that doesn't have a whole ton of top, top-notch dudes, Stephen Amell's one of them. Anyway, guys, that'll do it for this installment of After Dark. What did I say at the beginning? Are you ready to get dark? The show where we... What did I say? Oh, yeah. The show where we talk about drinking alcohol and recreational drug use and casual sex. Obviously, none of that was really a part of the show, but I'm glad you guys came along anyway. Anyway, guys, listen, there are still more questions to come. Don't worry. We'll get picked up on those uh, as we roll into the John Campia show tomorrow. But guys, thanks a lot for hanging out with me tonight. Special thank you to all you guys who did send in those questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you also supported this channel as you did it and all of us involved with the John Campia show. Thank you guys so much for your support. Don't forget to join us again tomorrow for the John Campia show. We're going to be talking some venom. We're going to be talking about, cause the reactions came out for that. We're going to talk a little bit about Norm Macdonald and the passing of the great Norm Macdonald. A lot of stuff lined up for tomorrow. Make sure you come back and join us for that guys. But you know, it's six minutes until what if airs, it's almost midnight here. I'm going to go, uh, maybe get some diet Pepsi and sit down and watch myself. Some what if hope you guys have a great night. My name's John Campion until next time, my friends filthy